0: I'm David Bank. And from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. Yeah, the greenhouse is about 60 acres. So call
1: it for simple numbers, uh, 2.5 million square feet. It's one complete structure, uh, steel and glass. Inside of it, it's a classic Dutch uh, style uh, glass house. We control CO2 levels, we control temperature, we control humidity, we control the light. Uh, And because we're LED, we control the light spectrum. And so we can tune the environment to the specific plant and to the specific time of year and to the outside climate and, and how we want to create our own unique climate inside. So it is absolutely controlled environment agriculture at a very significant scale.
0: That's Dave Chen, CEO of Equilibrium Capital, in a conversation from Singapore. In the latest in our Institutional Shift series, Dave and I talk food system resilience in the face of climate change and COVID. Let's jump right into the conversation. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you? Great. Um, You're in Singapore uh, and we're talking obviously over Zoom, which is very common, but what's not common is uh, you've been in quarantine there. Uh, what, What day are you in? I think I'm on day 13 right now. Of 14 days. So you're almost, you're almost going to be uh, freed. You've been stuck in the hotel room, right? You've been, you've been confined to the hotel room.
1: <laughs> you know, people think it's exaggerating, <clears throat> but Singapore is one of these countries that, um, you know, really, they make rules. And uh, I, am, I have been inside a hotel room, not inside a hotel, inside a hotel room uh, now for, for 13 days.
0: Literally not going in the hallway, not going down to the lobby, not obviously going outside.
1: So uh, they drop uh,
0: three meals a day at the
1: door. Uh, I take my laundry and I put it outside the door.
0: (laughs) So you haven't seen another human in the flesh for
1: Not quite. I have seen uh, official representatives of the agencies of the Singaporean government. So uh, every day uh, the hotel has the responsibility of calling me. To ask for my uh, temperature, I was issued a thermometer uh, when I checked in because I didn't bring my own. And uh, and then uh, every few days, a as I said, a representative of the Singapore government will come to the door, knock, ask me for my uh, passport and uh, verify my identification. Will probably what they're also probably secretly doing is looking inside my hotel room to make sure that there's no one there. And then um, I get a random call. Uh, from an agency that will uh, start a video call. And what they really want to know is uh, a panning of the room to make sure that I am, in fact, where I say I am. And so it's all these processes to make sure that I am, in fact, staying in my room.
0: Well, good for you uh, for, for sticking it out. Now, why are you in Singapore?
1: Uh, I'm here because... Uh, one of the projects that that we've been asked to work on uh, is is in the broad context of of uh, Singapore has executed a uh, a program here that they call Singapore Thirty Thirty, and that is thirty uh, percent self sufficiency on food, uh, and they have very specific classes of food that they want to drive for national security for thirty percent self sufficiency by twenty thirty. So, so in the next 10 years, the country wants to move to being self-sufficient uh, on produce, various kinds of protein, and then executing uh, strategies on preservation, which is elongating and making sure that food uh, is not wasted and that the shelf life of food. So protein, preservation, produce, Singapore 3030. And as you might imagine Singapore is not a big country I, I think Dave you, you looked it up for me it's uh, what 200
0: 280 square miles or something 20, 20 kilometers by 20 kilometers or something like that yeah
1: basically and so it's it's not a country where uh, you've got a, a ton of land and so you can't do the uh, you know Kansas or the uh, Belarus uh, you know farms that extend for to the horizon kind of thing. So, so they have a particular set of challenges and we're here to work on parts of that or help uh, uh, work on that in its part because, you know, equilibrium is, I, I, I dare say, the global, you know, investment leader in uh, controlled environment agriculture.
0: Controlled environment is a fancy word for greenhouses?
1: Well, I think the reason we use that fancy term is that, uh, yes, greenhouses, vertical farms, but eventually the idea of controlling the environment from an agricultural perspective includes things like alternative proteins uh, uh, because now we're not land-basic. Uh, it includes things like aquaculture, uh, the farming of fish, and therefore the controlling of the environment upon which we're not using natural systems. And so, so, so it's a it's an expansive term. But yes, the here and now is greenhouses and to some extent vertical farms.
0: Now, s- somehow, while we've been doing these uh, interviews and institutional shift podcasts over the last few years, as you say, equilibrium is has amassed a portfolio of greenhouses and you're something like the largest greenhouse operator in the, or greenhouse owner in the, in the, in the world right now. I I think that uh, one of, we always say one of the largest, just one of,
1: but, but we are certainly, (laughs) we are certainly continuing to amass build. uh, I can say that we're, we're in our portfolio. Now we're, we're probably one of the largest collections of construction sites uh anywhere in the world and it's our objective to continue that path because we see uh, the controlled environment agriculture as a mega trend of technology driven productivity that's taken place in agriculture and i think that one of the things that we have benefited from is that between climate change being very real and in some ways covid uh, these very conceptual terms that we oftentimes use about food, you know, resiliency of the supply chain, um, climate adaptation within agriculture. These are all very high-level conceptual words. The, the thing about COVID is that they, made, they they put a face on a concept. Uh, you know, borders were shut, uh, trains were shut, ships were shut. And, uh, and so the idea of regional dependence the creation of regionality in our food system, resilience in our food system, uh, all became very real.
0: So that's why you're saying Singapore are obviously interested in it um, generally, but even more so when they couldn't get food during the COVID shutdown.
1: Exactly, exactly. And and here regionally, for example, there was a period in the COVID, uh, March, April, when, for example, Vietnam, which is one of the largest rice producers in the world and in this region, certainly, and obviously rice is It's a staple. It's a it's a daily need uh, uh, in Asia. Uh, uh, They constricted their border in terms of export. India shut down their borders for export, not import, but for export, because there were certain uh, vegetables that they considered to be national security, uh, that they needed them more. And so 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 the balance of trade, the availability of trade, it was no longer a theoretical issue. Borders were shut.
0: You mentioned climate change I, I'm always I always recall the remake or the sequel on, on Blade Runner I think Blade Runner 2049 it opens with a, a series of a, inside a series of greenhouses because it's a wasteland outside and the only place they can grow food is in a greenhouse yeah you know
1: greenhouses I, I jokingly have said on a couple of, of uh, panels and, and talked greenhouses are the ultimate uh, DIY and BYO you know you bring your own soil
0: you bring your own climate. Okay, okay. now how does this work? You guys own the actual facility, but you work with operators who who grow the food, right? or are you growing the food? no, we we, we took a, a partnering strategy in our portfolio development
1: and and we saw the opportunity that because uh, the controlled environment space was growing fast, it had' hit inflection, that the capital needs for the industry uh, had changed. Um, uh, the growth of the greenhouse industry, and i'm talking here about the high-tech glass house industry uh, uh was pretty steady and stable for the last 30 40 years and in the last few years because of the demand for controlled environment products the produce that comes out of that has hit inflection the capital consumption has been been pretty significant and so we saw the opportunity to partner with uh, the best-in-class greenhouse companies growers operators Certainly in North America, and and frankly, it's true across the world. And and be a partner, uh, a domain uh, aware domain expert partner and capital resource for them to um, um, accelerate their growth.
0: While you're hanging out there in in your hotel room in Singapore, one of the companies you've partnered with, App Harvest, out in Kentucky um went public in a SPAC. we can get into what what a SPAC is later but for the moment app harvest in kentucky building a very high-tech greenhouse in the middle of coal country to produce uh you know tomatoes and 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 whatnot in kentucky and this greenhouse is 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 huge as i understand yeah the greenhouse is about
1: 60 acres so call it for simple numbers uh, 2.5 million square feet it's one complete structure uh, steel and glass inside of it it's a classic dutch uh, style uh, glass house we control co2 levels we control temperature we control humidity we control the light Uh, and because we're led we control the light spectrum and so we can tune the environment to the specific plant and to the specific time of year and to the outside climate and and how we want to create our own unique climate inside, so it is absolutely controlled environment agriculture at a very significant scale, and in the case of App Harvest, Equilibrium is the uh, supplier of capital and technically the owner of uh, the Moorhead facility, and uh, and we're also investors in App Harvest, the corporation, so we're shareholders within the corporation, so we participated in the IPO. And we also uh, sit on the board of directors of the operating company, AppHarvest.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so let's just take a brief detour into SPACs. You mentioned IPO. It's not quite an IPO. These special purpose acquisition companies get floated on the stock market, raise some capital, and then go look for an acquisition. This one um, called Novus, I think, found AppHarvest Harvest in a sense bought it right as an acquisition and then you raise some or they raise some additional money as as well so the company is now uh, as soon as this all closes will be a publicly listed company right
1: that is correct effectively technically it's a merger and and as you as you accurately pointed out it's an acquisition and so by virtue uh, the day that this gets approved the merger is approved app harvest becomes a public entity and i think that's the challenge isn't that uh, this is, a, this is a, a, a strategy that avails app harvest of access to the public markets, but as a public entity now, uh, the moment that it happens, um, you know, you forget that it's a SPAC, it's just a public entity, and therefore it has to perform uh, the way that, that a public entity would perform and the expectations of analysts and the expectation
0: of shareholders. You mentioned the expectations. I don't think App Harvest has uh, harvested a, a single tomato yet. Uh, so you've got they've they've gone public on this technology promise, on the on the on the management team, obviously, and then all the all the rest of it, but but not on the proven you know sort of production of tomatoes.
1: Yeah, I can't comment on on a lot of the details, but I will say that App Harvest um, has uh, done a great job of building out a seasoned, uh, experienced team in the greenhouse sector and across various aspects of, of produce marketing and the uh, technology space. And so in a way, uh, uh, they're a signal. App Harvest is a signal of what we as Equilibrium believe is happening in agriculture. And that is that uh, agriculture uh, is becoming a tech-driven uh, industry. It, 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 technology has always played a huge role in agriculture, so don't get me wrong, historically. But but Greenhouse's, and specifically App Harvest's execution, is applying high-tech principles and the absorption of high-tech industries to continue to absorb technology uh, and ride a productivity curve. They're applying these principles within the core of, of agriculture. Whoever would have... Uh, 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 use the term uh, Moore's law or adaptive systems to, you know, a thousand acre field of, of, of lettuce. All right? But I think that's precisely in a, in, a, in a very real way what's happening in big chunks of the agricultural industry. And that that in and of itself is changing the mentality of what ag is.
0: And you also mentioned that the capital structure or the ability to access and and, and, and put capital to work is another kind of innovation, right? So, so these are capital intensive in a way you got to build the this, this facilities and equip them, as you said, with all this technology. Um, so, so this is, this is, you know, be, becomes a, a, a place where big checks can be written, I imagine, and, and, and institutional investors can, 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 can play a role. Um, is, is there a, is this a sort of uh, entree, a, a, a entree point for institutional investors into, you know, I- impact and climate resilience and all the rest? Well, the short answer is yes.
1: Or yes. Look, look. Here's the problem with 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 uh, with hyperbole, and that is that um, uh, you know you can read a Silicon Valley uh, business plan. Uh, about the alternative proteins or new food, and uh, and the business plan always reads the same. You know, there are seven billion people growing to nine billion people, and we have to feed the planet, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's all true, but 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 the important fact is that uh, that is actually true okay so so this isn't like social networking a social networking startup i i shovel in a billion dollars and uh and i have a bunch of engineers and uh and i go get a data center and i'm streaming uh, uh, sessions across the world uh, when it comes to food you and i still consume a physical molecular thing i don't care whether you manufacture it or whether i grow it i'm consuming a uh, a piece of protein or i'm consuming a, a, a head of lettuce or a salad which means that I have to have the physical plant in order to be able to, um, to uh, execute that. You, you have to have a place to do that. And if you actually are gonna grow enough tomatoes, lettuce, cucumbers, peppers, Madagascar vanilla, uh, pepper to, to uh, quote unquote, feed that planet that was used in that, in that pitch deck, then I need a whole bunch of facilities, which means that this is a capital intensive, asset intensive industry.
0: And you also need them spread out around the world near major metro areas. You reduce the transportation costs, all those kind of things. So you're you're basically building food infrastructure almost, it sounds like.
1: That's exactly right. This is food infrastructure. And as I said early in this interview, COVID has made the word resilience, regional food security, has made those terms very real. And so... Uh, On one hand, it is true that we have moved to a global supply chain, and that has had extraordinary benefits in terms of bringing, uh, uh, in some ways, diversity to uh, and expectations to a growing global population. I, I should have bananas every day. I should have raspberries every day. I should have fresh greens every day. 40 years ago... Even in the U.S., we grew up thinking that there were winter vegetables and there were summer vegetables. And and our expectations today as a global consumer is that we get those all the time. So that's one of the outcomes of globalism. But one of the reverse outcomes of COVID is this move towards, well, we need to have regional resilience. Well, how do I now take and balance the idea of globalism, economy of scale, low-cost producer, with now bringing things back from a regionalism. And so one of the things that this harks back to why I'm here in Singapore is that during this COVID period, a number of countries as a result of the food shocks that they've uh, experienced, uh, and this could be the Middle Eastern countries where 90% of what they eat is imported into those countries, Singapore, where the same phenomenon is taking place, all the way through to China, where they're now very much concerned again about what happens within their borders uh, and how do they within a very you know china china is not short necessarily on land mass but if you actually look at the map china is not rich in arable land and they certainly are water stressed and so they have their set of concerns uh, that are that are unique when it comes to food security that's very different from the very much more maybe visible issue with 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 Singapore that it's a tiny island country and there isn't land, and 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 the Middle East where they have an extreme climate. I mean, you know, by all rights, what could grow in a summertime where you're forty-five degrees centigrade during the daytime? I mean, what legitimately should grow there, and yet they have these food security and regional concerns now. So so COVID has made those sets of issues very real.
0: But even in even in California, you know, sort of um, um, a food basket to the to the world, uh, the the climate is changing. Fires, obviously, you know, uh, affecting all of this and 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 other things. So so this is uh, you, you've even got greenhouses, I think, in, in the middle of California. Yeah,
1: and, and and that's a great point, which is look when when California has a million acres of forest land um, on fire, and I think the cautionary comment is because most of us that are listening don't have a real conceptual framework, what a, what a million acres looks like. And actually the reverse, how small a million acres is compared to the landmass of California. So the nasty truth is there's a lot more to burn, unfortunately. And so when a million acres goes up, imagine all the dust, uh, ash, contaminants that float onto um, open fields. And that, that not only causes concern about economic damage, it potentially causes concern about the soil. It can causes certainly the episodic concern about the that current crop and how do you clean it, how do you ensure food safety. And and so when you get down to it, companies like Walmart that have or Kroger's in the US that now each have about call it 20% market share of our grocery dollars, and that a fair amount of the, the salad bowl and the fruit bowl of the United States is in these highly threatened uh, environments. The issue of regionality, the issue of food safety,
0: and resilience are no longer uh, theoretical constructs. They're very real. So institutional investors, I know you had some, some big in, in, institutions in the uh, App Harvest deal, but what about, who else is getting in? Are the sovereign wealth funds of these countries getting in?
1: Yeah, I, I should note, just to play on that for a second, that that the App Harvest uh, pipe, uh, which was the effectively the secondary that was that was done at the time of the merger.
0: Another acronym, private investment in public equity.
1: Yes, and the amount of very strong institutional support for that uh i think was a testament to to how important they see these trends to be the on on the topic of food security i think one of the phenomenons that we've noticed uh, just literally in these last few months is that as countries have started to institute these public policies for food security and regional access to food many of them have incorporated their sovereign wealth funds into that conversation. And and most sovereign wealth funds have mandates, which are to invest and generate returns uh, for what is effectively the treasury or the people or the government's uh, capital uh, for the long term. And I think it's been a really interesting phenomenon to watch how Uh, And and you see this in the Middle East and and certainly you see this in uh, Singapore, where the sovereign wealth funds have been asked to be a participant within these national policies. In other words, how can investment capital at that level of scale and that level of ownership and time horizon be deployed to actually help these countries build their food systems and build uh, and execute their policies of,
0: of food security? And that's a that's a fairly important change. So the sovereign wealth funds are being asked to become impact investors by their own countries to execute on these strategies.
1: Well, you know, if you use our vocabulary, I, I think that that sovereign wealth funds are asked to be direct participants within uh, building sustainable investments and sustainable uh, investments that have sustainable attributes and impactful. They, they still have their mission, which is uh, to generate returns uh, to build industries to build things that have economic development implications to them, as well as building vibrant, economically viable uh, portfolios of assets. But yes, they're being uh, uh, asked to be, become part of the execution of public policy.
0: You, you mentioned um, the Dutch uh, greenhouse model. I think they've got onto this Early on, it's a tiny little country—not as small as Singapore, obviously—but a very small country, and uh, the second biggest ag exporter to the to the U.S. All, most, much, or all of it from uh, greenhouse uh, production. Um, so this is this is starting to become. I guess it's not really climate uh, mitigation in the sense of maybe there is some reduced uh, carbon, but it's really climate adaptation. This is like how we're going to live in a climate change world that is fast upon us. I mean, you know, necessity is the mother of
1: invention, and and you look at Holland and you look at Israel, and both those countries are, um, you know, constrained, constricted in terms of their landmass. Uh, they're, they're they they have. Very different kinds of of environmental constraints. I mean, Holland is is fairly far north, so so you have uh, long winters, you have darkness, and, and you have constrained land, and and so the innovations that have taken place in those kinds of places uh, have fostered an industry that I would say, I would hardly call greenhouse growing in in Europe a niche, because upwards of half of what Europe eats comes out of greenhouses, but certainly. The necessity has not been here in the U.S. until recently. Uh, The awareness of climate adaptation, the awareness of resiliency, and the consumer desire for regional and local have have driven these trends. And so we see these now exacerbated by the awareness generated by COVID and, and frankly, the awareness that climate creep is very real. And so the effects of climate change are now measurable and agriculture is ground zero i mean i always have joked that if the weather and the climate are in fact really changing um you have to worry about your thousand acres of peaches or a thousand acres of almonds because that's not a very easy object to move
0: indeed indeed well Dave this is a a, a a good education in the future of food it's also a good education in possibly the future of travel that you've you've been become a human a human experiment for uh, uh, the two-week quarantine just to just to be able to get out and, and do some business in in Singapore so I applaud your persistence and thanks for joining us again it's worth doing so thank you again we'll talk to you soon That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Dave, Equilibrium, App Harvest, and Greenhouses at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and members-only Agents of Impact calls. Use the code BRIEFING100 to get $100 off at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thanks to Dave Chen and our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha.